Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Jay Wilmington here, joined once again by Julian. Julian, thanks again for joining me. Yes, of course, and as always, thank you for having me. I wish we had a little bit more positive conversation here than I imagine we'll have today, but you know, after we spoke last time, Julian, we knew it would be tough with back-to-back matches coming with Manchester City, and Chelsea do come away with nothing after both of those. Of course, one in the league, a 1-0 loss just back on Thursday, and then today, Sunday, Chelsea go to the Etihad in the FA Cup and get absolutely walloped. Um, Julian, you know, I, obviously rough, ex- maybe not high expectations given the football that Chelsea had been playing with two matches with Manchester City coming up. Maybe not the best measuring stick for where Chelsea's at. But even so, um, man, it, 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 where Chelsea sits today after these two losses, it's hard to feel real optimistic at the moment, is it not? It's really interesting at this moment to be a Chelsea supporter. The only thing I could kind of compare this to is the rough patch we went through with Mourinho a couple of years back. And it was in those days where I kind of went into a lot of those games thinking that we weren't going to get any results. But oftentimes when it came to those matches, we were just a little unlucky. In this case, it doesn't even look like we're that unlucky. It looks like we're kind of getting the results we deserve. And I think, if anything, the reason the Nottingham results hurt so much was because nobody really expected us to get anything from these matches and the results ending the way that they did. I mean, you got the worst of both worlds, one where you said, "Okay, well, you know, we didn't necessarily play that bad, followed up by one where you said, "Okay, we played absolutely dreadful. So, I mean, you get everything in two matches and it's not really ideal for anybody. Yeah, I wonder almost had these two matches, you know, the performance has been flipped. If it wouldn't feel quite as dour here today, there'd be a little more silver lining being able to say that, you know, here's here's how much better we were the second time around. But when you when you kind of fight and scrap and, you know, I don't think City played great in their one nil victory on Thursday over Chelsea in the league. I There were still, you know, it, it didn't look like it did today in the FA Cup where Chelsea just didn't look like they even belonged on the same pitch. To separate that out a little, going back to that first match, um, I think the talking point for me prior to the match was that we saw a couple pretty big changes to the starting 11, most notably for me that, you know, Kovacic comes back into the lineup at the starting 11 and Jorginho, who has kind of been front and center of everything all year actually is replaced and sits on the bench. And then that, you know, Ziesch comes in for Mount. I think for me, those were two pretty noticeable changes. It seemed like Potter wanted to to go with. What did you think of those? Absolutely. And I was optimistic about the midfield changes given that I've been kind of curious how something like that would look. We've gone over and over Jorginho's deficiencies in the midfield. He doesn't offer a whole lot of defensive stability. So having Zakaria, who has been one of our better performing players in the last couple of matches, paired with Kovacic, who at least offers a little bit more defensive cover than Jorginho, in theory, you felt that it would provide a little bit more solidity. And if anything, I feel like it did. There was that positive to it. But the ZH for Mount thing is maybe the most interesting part of that change, given that Ziyech is a wild card, and in a match like this, I think these are the ones we've seen maybe his weakest performances because it's a little bit more difficult for him to get regular service, routine service, and create the opportunities he does. So I don't know if this was the right match to play him in, but at the very least, it were two very interesting decisions. Yeah, and I think in part for me, maybe just the fact that through attrition, 
mostly from injury that, you know, Chelsea isn't well stocked right now with options anywhere across the park, but I think they do still have just this hodgepodge of, of attackers. So it's, you know, I guess sticking with kind of a back four at least and playing kind of more guy gives you an opportunity to play more guys up front. You know, I'd like to see Chaloba be getting some more minutes, minutes here. I'm sure we'll talk about some others that we'd like to see play more, but you know, Chelsea kind of, again, without Reese James, kind of forced into that Espilicueta and Cucurea um, at the fullback positions. And Silva, who's been so solid this year, you know, if Koulibaly's been rough, it's almost highlighted extra because standing next to Silva, who's older than he is and, you know, can't make really any excuses, Koulibaly, about, um, you know, aging and, and the athleticism side when Silva's right there next to him doing a great job, uh, you know, he, he continues to struggle. Um you know, we've seen some bright spots from Zakaria. I think see the highs and lows with him pretty regularly throughout these matches. But what was almost, you know, if this was a hodgepodge lineup to start out with, it gets even more so almost immediate, immediately as Chelsea's injury crisis just continues to deepen. And, you know, Julian, it's a little concerning to me that so many of these injuries are seem to be non-contact. Again, I don't know if this is overworked from... World Cup, whether this is bringing in new a new medical team and or a new uh, coach and having a totally just different regimen of how you're training daily and your body's not used to it yet and you're seeing some of the impact of that in these injuries. But Raheem Sterling, the next one to go down for Chelsea, and you know Pierre Emerick Aubameyang uh, jogs onto the pitch where I think that might have been the fastest he ran really all all night. Um, you know. I would get to you there, but I, I can't even hardly go 10 more minutes and we lose Christian Pulisic, this time through a contact in injury. But, you know, Julian, how snake bit can Chelsea possibly get when they're 22 minutes in here and lose, you know, two of the few first-team healthy players that they do have? I think it's almost impossible to try to take any sort of positives from anything that has happened in these matches, but this is a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card for Potter in one sense because he can kind of turn to people and say, look, I don't have the players. Our players are injured. We haven't had a good run of uh, fitness with a lot of them, and as a result, we're not playing our best players. Uh, we're playing a lot of players who are getting first-time minutes in this case. So that's a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card for him. At the same time, it's really, I, I would say, concerning with a lot of these players. Pulisic obviously has an injury history, and it seemed like this might have been a window where if we got the right player in, Pulisic would have been able to go, and that would have been a transition that, for all the nice things he has done, rare and uh, inconsistent as they may be, it kind of feels like it's maybe best for everybody involved. At the same time, Sterling going down, he... Also has been inconsistent with the club, but when he's on, he has been one of our better performers. So we're just kind of looking at, we went in to this season with too many attacking players to begin with. And now we're kind of looking at it and saying, we don't have any regular attacking players at this moment. That's why we can see a player like Ziyech, I guess, getting some minutes when in reality, he probably wasn't slated to get many under Potter. Yeah, it's an interesting transition as well because I think one of the things that I'd mentioned in our last pod that was frustrating to me while I was willing to give, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a, you know, give Potter the benefit of the doubt, shall we say, and some of these things that I see a lot of people being very critical toward him already. One thing that has stood out that doesn't make sense to me is why, you know, a Ziyech, especially when he's, you know, if, 
from everything we expect, the club is expecting at least to try to move him on. Um, why would he be getting minutes over a Carney Chukwameka? So, you know, I was happy to see Carney come into this match and almost immediately kind of show a little bit of the spark that I think he can bring. Yes, he's very raw, but when, you know, these are kind of really dour times right now and the football itself is pretty poor and pretty lifeless and you could see, you know, Chuck Wameka come in and kind of have, be willing to take players on. He hit the, he, you know, he, he got a shot uh, blocked by Stones almost immediately coming on. Uh, he hit, you know, he hit the post on a shot. And, and with how little Chelsea's been creating, I guess that's what I'm asking for. That's what I want to see is, look, we, we don't have, we by definition have like nothing left to play for. We're 10th in the league. We're out of every other competition. Um, it, to me, there's nothing to be gained by not playing um, those people. I, I understand you have a uh, locker room of personalities to manage as well. Um, but at least for me, the bright spot, if I had to pick one from these from these matches, was getting to see a little bit of these young players at least come in and, and show the energy that I think our, our performances have been majorly missing here, uh, here of late. Um, if Chelsea did anything, I guess it would survive the Holland attack. You know, it seems like, Nobody can survive giving up multiple goals to Erling Haaland, and somehow Chelsea did just that. But, you know, Julian, I think the other frustrating thing is um, as Chelsea kind of gritted their way through this match without creating a lot, they still had every opportunity to kind of pull something out of this or at least take a point. And I got to ask you, um, moving on to the one goal of the match, Riyad Mahrez uh, scores, and, and I think it was Grealish who crosses it from the left wing across, and I think the main talking point for me on that was how did, was that was that Kepa's fault? Was that that looked very awkward for me? Looked like uh, you know I think I think it was maybe a little harsh some of the stuff I've seen said, but again after fighting and actually hanging on so long, it just felt like a terrible goal to give away. It is really bad, and it's unfortunate that we were on this podcast a couple of months ago when Kepa was performing well, and I said, it's kind of inevitable we're going to see a gaffe from him because that's just kind of what we've come to expect at this point. And I said, I really hope it doesn't come in a big performance that costs us severely, and unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. I understand people have been very critical of him for it. I can't disagree with that, honestly. He needs to do anything to ensure that Nobody can get on the end of that. It does look awkward. I'm not a goalkeeper, and it's one of those things where it's best to maybe ask somebody that has more goalkeeping experience with it. But to me, it looked like he should have been able to do something, whether it even be a tiny deflection or, in theory, I would expect him to parry the ball away, grasp the ball. There's just more that could have been done. And I think he may have thought that the back was covered. That's just kind of the way it looked like he was pulling out of it. But don't know for sure. If anything was a big talking point for me in this match, I would say it was actually that error because I do think that had that not happened, there's entirely a chance we might have had a very scrappy nil-nil result. I think at that point with the game, I won't say completely gone, just down a goal, but I think you know Potter elects to make some more youth-oriented changes. One I think that stood out and we can talk just a little bit about was, you know, he subs off Aubameyang, who had been the one to originally come on for the injured Sterling after just five minutes. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I've not been impressed with Aubameyang's uh, body language, to say the least. But, you know, I, you've seen it many times when a sub is subbed off that they kind of show their frustration. But it, it annoyed me to no end to see Aubameyang sort of act miffed to come off the pitch when he had provided absolutely nothing and not just 
nothing from a tactical standpoint. He hadn't given anything from an energy uh, standpoint into the match as well. Amari Hutchinson comes on, a really raw but talented youngster. Um, somebody I hope to see a lot more of. Lewis Hall comes on as well for Kukurea, who definitely did not cover himself in glory on that goal either, as he was the one beaten at the back post for that tap-in from Mares. Connor Gallagher comes on for Ziyech as Chelsea, you know, kind of try to triple change here and, and flip things around a little, and, you know, really didn't. If anything, I think, you know, they just... They just look to have no fluidity, and they have these guys that they put in with different player profiles that really don't mix necessarily real well together. Again, all of this with the conversation and the umbrella of this massive injury list hanging over all of this, where yeah, you don't have your best options to plug and plug in here to keep fluidity because you have you have so many of of your you know uh, staples out out of out of selection. Um, but Chelsea really weren't able to create anything the rest of the match, end up losing 1-0. Uh, and Julian, I guess just on it from an overall takeaway, it was almost disappointing to me that I wasn't that disappointed, that given where we were, I, it, I was still frustrated. But it, this is a match at Stamford Bridge against a City team who played not at anywhere near their best, and yet somehow it felt like, man, that could have been a lot worse. Is that just me, or did you have a little of that as well? I mean, I did. I understood that going into this match wasn't really a whole lot of optimism, and you're absolutely right in the assessment that towards the end, I won no loss. I'm like, okay, like uh, it could have been worse. At least we didn't lose, for example, 4-0, which, of course, we'd get the opportunity to just a couple of days later. It It is a weird time right now and i don't see any way of actually fixing it it seems like just kind of grasping at straws to find any sort of optimism and looking at this match i have a very hard time picking out anything you were highlighting some of the youngsters but even then i'm like okay it didn't really seem to help minutes are nice for them but i i'm still having a hard time taking away even those very small scraps from this well, and I think that it only really is exciting for me if you sort of commit to it, right? Like you're playing multiple players that you think have a future and you're kind of wholesale switching to that approach and doing it match after match. Uh, you know, yeah, throwing a talented youngster out there for for a handful of minutes, yeah, uh, you, like you said, I'm not sure in isolation really what that what that provides or what that what that helps. It's just part of this sort of hodgepodge of approaches it seems that we have. Right, you know, before we get into the really yeah, the the not in the face match from City here in in the FA Cup, um, you know, what did you kind of make of the conversation or the the kind of preparation in between these two matches? Again, I think that the there's not a lot of hope around the club right now. There's not a lot of you know expectation that Chelsea's gonna gonna beat City. But you know, what were what were your expectations? I guess or hopes going into the FA Cup? Did you? Did you want Chelsea to to rotate, um, you know, to try to get some more people in? Did you want them to, you know, clearly since the league is gone, really prioritize this FA Cup competition, try to make a deep run, try something out different tactically? I mean, you know, getting a shot at City and then having another shot four days later, um, you know, what were you hoping to see at least from the Chelsea side? Well, some sort of life. I feel like that's all we were kind of hoping for. But at the same time, I was curious to see what sort of 11 City were going to put out. I was wondering if they were going to prioritize this competition. But then you also have to remember that City is one of those few teams in the world that even their backups are just as good, if not better, than a lot of our 
regulars and starters. So even the lineup they put out, there was a little bit more talent than I feel like we were capable of putting out sometimes even in our best case scenario. So that was a little dejecting. And naturally, um, when I saw the 11 that we put out, there were a couple of interesting selections to say the least. But there's one thing, we'll probably get into it a little bit later with this match specifically, that I think just kind of said something we've been talking about for a very, very long time. And you could really see the difference between these two matches in this one thing, but I don't know. Uh, lead up to it, didn't have a whole lot of optimism. Maybe a little bit of fight. That's all I could really ask for, and that's kind of sad that at this moment we're just hoping for a fight from our team. When you had to figure there'd be some squad rotation, but again, with options limited, I still couldn't have predicted what we ended up seeing today with a million guesses, and that was Trevor Shaloba at right back, Lewis Hall at left back, Bashir Humphreys making his Chelsea debut alongside Koulibaly, uh, Connor Gallagher, Jorginho, Kovacic in the midfield along with Mount, Havertz, and Ziyech up front, and, you know, again, forced into this a little bit, but but obviously seeming to me, at least my takeaway looking at that starting 11 was you know, okay, we're going to give a debut to Humphreys and Hall, and, and there's some rotation there, but it doesn't feel like we're really going to be prioritizing this competition. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I guess, again, without at least without Thiago Silva out, out there, it was a little hard to feel that way for me. But, um, man, you go down and look at the bench, and, and it's not like there's so many great options left there. Um, for City, you know... I, they, they rotate quite a bit, I think, for me. The fact that Cole Palmer plays on the wing, um, somebody who's obviously very young, and at the same time, man, City can rotate, and, and they're healthier than we are, and they can rotate a sort of a secondary lineup and still be incredibly strong on paper. So, um, you know, but you mentioned it, Julian. What I, wanted, what I didn't want to see is what I saw today from an energy and effort standpoint. I thought Graham Potter, after the match... Um, well, basically just lied. I think he's doing it on behalf of his players to try to protect them maybe a bit, um, saying that, you know, sit when you play a team like Manchester City in the way that they play, when they're working on all cylinders, they make you look like you're not giving an effort because they can pass the ball around you, and he, he doesn't have any, is, any issues with any of the effort um, from the players today. I sure hope that's only something that he want, he said to the media because he didn't want to get into how he really felt about the effort because... Man, today was one of the most frustrating performances for me in a long time from just a sheer... Guys looked completely beaten, and they didn't really seem to be giving it. And and particularly the guys that have been long-standing squad members, not the young guys that were given you know this sort of hopeless, insurmountable task today. Yes, and I mean, I will do it right at the front because I know I, we don't want to just sit here and say this player played bad, this player played bad, and so on and so forth. But I have to say it, um, Koulibaly, who has had a number of really poor performances, he looked like the 19-year-old that was making his debut in this. I mean, he was by no means the type of player that we thought we were purchasing. I've been saying since the start of the season I had major concerns with him, and this was one of his worst performances, which is very unfortunate to say because he's had some really poor performances from for us this season. Kai Havertz, too. Oh, my God. I have been defending Kai Havertz all season, too, because I know there's a player under there. We we all know there's a player there. He was one of the better players in the previous City match, but in this one, again, one of his worst performances. And 
the thing I started discussing and the thing I hate to say, because we just keep hammering this nail on the head nonstop all season is that midfield does not work. And I am pleading with people that insist that this midfield is capable of working. It just does not work. Jorginho's first ever match, the Community Shield match against Manchester City, it showed that he's just not that player. And when there is a team of this caliber, he can get lost in these sort of performances. He was bad. Kovacic was bad. That midfield duo just does not work. And I think if there's one big takeaway I had from a 1-0 loss to a 4-0 loss, which is unfortunate to say, it just goes to show that a player who may not be the same quality as Jorginho or Kovacic matters so much more just because of the role he plays as opposed to players that in theory should be better than him. Zakaria is by far the third best, most talented of those players. However, just because of the type of profile he has, he's much more important to this team than continuing to put those two in the midfield. It has to be said. We've been saying it for years. It does not work. Oh, you're so on. You hit the nail on the head, Julian. I think that's where for me, where this gets so murky or sort of chicken versus egg almost when you start talking, is this a, you know, a squad imbalance and personnel problem, or is this a more coaching problem, or is this a, you know, it, it, it is all so tied together because it has all been leading this way for, for a long time, uh, you know, that's this midfield that we haven't really improved on or um, added to in the last several years, really, since Kovacic tried. I guess Gallagher by, was was an attempt to do that. It, the cracks have been there for so long, and you know, I'm reminded of what Thomas Tuchel said. As I, you know, everybody can sing his name, and you know, I love Tuchel, um, but like everybody's singing his name today in the in the stands at the end of the game at the Etihad, and it's like, what is that helping? He is not here. The one thing we can do a lot of different things to try to improve this going forward. The one thing we can't do is go back in a time machine and bring Thomas Tuchel back. So, but I'm reminded of something that he said, you know, before he was gone when people were getting frustrated with him. And he said, we have the same problems because we have the same players. And yeah, I mean, there's still um, that at the core of a lot of this. I mean, Koulibaly, you know. Just one of the worst performances I can ever remember seeing. I mean, he's at fault for the Mares goal to begin with. That foul he makes right on the edge of the box, I, it, oh, man, it, it, he just he looks completely hopeless. I mean, he's making fouls where he tries to challenge, then tries to pull out, and then he's basically laying on the ground while the guy just kind of trips over him. It, and then not to mention the yellow card to give away the penalty where Foden just sort of abuses him in the box, and it's such a terrible place to give it away um it's so discouraging and I don't know um man you almost need like a a different coach to try to work on every single one of these separate problems and I can't imagine the headaches that it creates to try to have all of these problems simultaneously and these things don't exist in a vacuum if you try to solve one problem by doing something it, it has an effect on the other issues you have around the club as well so um yeah not you getting there he's getting paid a lot of people are getting paid a lot of money to figure this stuff out but for me where i what i can say with certainty in the middle of all this stuff that is so muddled is that was a terrible performance and it looked like the squad didn't believe either in themselves or that they would be held accountable or in this manager or something. There did not seem to be anything driving 
you know, an engine in this team in any way. And again, I don't know exactly how we get to that position, but it is so frustrating to look at this and, you know, we can look at a calendar and say, yeah, okay, we didn't get any points from two with Manchester City. We're not the only club that would fall in that boat. But I mean, looking ahead to our next matchup with Fulham, it's like, I don't know why we'd have a lot of optimism about that because it's not that City played us off the park. It was that we just offer so little. Um, you know, Julian, let me ask you about this. This match, I think, highlights it. But one of the things that's frustrating to me, especially, is, I, you know, we didn't even take a shot um, until late, midway through the second half, I believe, today. Um, you know, it's one thing to struggle or to get beat, but we just are playing boring, boring football. I mean, this is like, man, people would say Mourinho was boring. At least we, at least he counterattacked and created chances. Um, Chelsea doesn't create anything. There are times where it feels like when they are able to pass through a press like City has, they get beyond it and then like pull the ball back out so that they kill their own fast, you know, their own transition and then try to pass it around with no teeth so you know let me ask you that Potter's been known was brought in for his coaching ability to bring in different tactical ideas to to play a certain type of kind of expansive football that was was semi at least semi-attractive so you know even if we're not at an idea you know how do you explain sort of the idea that it seems like we're just getting out coached tactically in match after match this is kind of hard to say, given that I have been a supporter of Potter. I don't know if he actually understood the issues within the squad when he took it over. So I think looking from the outside, you could say, look at how talented this team is from top to bottom. There are so many world-class players, international players. And in theory, if you just plug in a manager that has this great tactical awareness, then he should be able to make it work. But if anything, I have to give Tuchel credit. One of the things I gave Tuchel a lot of credit for was I thought he was a great tactician. It was his team building that I had a lot of concerns about. And he built this team that doesn't really seem to work. And people chanting Tuchel's name is frustrating because I can't necessarily say he's 100% at fault, but whatever combination of him and whoever made these signings and created this team that we have right here, they need to take the majority of the blame for what we are right now because Potter, yes, he's not doing well right now. I can say that. He's not performing to the level we all expected him to. At the same time, this isn't me defending him. I can't imagine that any other managers would have too much success with this team right now. And that's why Tuchel, as well, wasn't having a whole lot of success with this team and was struggling, too, because this team just doesn't have the right fit. So it's not an excuse for Potter. He should be doing better. But at the same time, this squad isn't really capable of doing much better. They are capable of better, but not as much better that maybe people are thinking to the extent we could compete, even with a team like City. Well, yeah, I have some questions about our, you know, I don't understand the strategy on the pitch, as I was saying, but I would have the same question for like the rest of Chelsea at large. One of the biggest questions I have about like, do we have a strategy at all is sort of in the squad squad building moving forward I mean we you know Todd Bully comes in and sort of insists that he's acting as this like one transfer window sporting director because of all the you know you know how quickly the the sale had to happen and how crazy things were in transition um obviously Chelsea has brought in some big names um to be part of their their 
recruitment team, guys that are very well respected, and and Chelsea, you know, I, people that I, you know, the Vell from from Leipzig and and Shields, and guys that are like known for really knowing what they're doing, and then, um. Man, why do why does Bowie go sign and bring in Obama Yang to you know theoretically because he had this great relationship with Tuchel when he was just about ready to get rid of Tuchel? Like that stuff makes no sense to me. And so maybe you can try to write that off by saying, okay, well he was kind of fish out of water there was Bowie in that role, but now that we've established all this recruitment team with such impressive resumes, we won't see that anymore. And then. Look at what's going on right now. I mean, we last time we talked about like, hey, maybe Enzo Fernandez sounds pretty close. Um, regardless of what you think about whether they should have spent all that money or what the player profile or how to rebuild this squad, like it's pretty unusual that that led to the Benfica coach and general manager effectively saying that Chelsea were disrespectful and embarrassing, and th- there does seem to be from the outside this and th- this lack of un of definitely lack of clear strategy moving forward, but also like some naivety about how this process even works in football. Um, and again, I think probably some of that's overblown, but it is unusual for people to make public comments about another club and the way they comported themselves in transfer transfer business, the way Benfica did about Chelsea. So, you know, I, I mean, do you, how do you feel or, or maybe not, I don't know how you feel, but also what are you looking for to try to gauge how you feel about this new recruitment team and if they have any real strategy moving forward? I've felt that the issues have been blatantly obvious for a very long time now. And a lot of the reason I seemed to be one of the few people that didn't support the Lukaku signing was because our last issue was striker. It came from the midfield, and that was the first thing we needed to fix. And if there's anybody that comes in, identifies and said, yes, that midfield needs to be overhauled. Because during the season preview, I didn't say we needed one midfielder. I didn't say we needed two. I said, I honestly feel like we need three. I feel like we need to replace the entirety of that midfield. And we got Zakaria, who yeah, is turning out better than expected, but that's just because we needed three players somewhat in his mold, and we got one that isn't supposed to be that good to begin with. So if we are gauging how successful they are, it's identifying the most important need. And that is clearly the most important need. And if anybody needs any sort of anecdotal evidence to prove that, I mean, we have been fortunate to have some of the greatest defensive midfielders in the Premier League era. We had Makaleli, we had Essien. And while you can make some discussion about what Conte's true role is, when he was playing that defensive role, especially alongside of Matic, it really made such a difference to how good that team was and how we performed. And now we're looking across up north at Manchester and Manchester United, who had been an absolute disaster, spends a lot of money to bring in an older but very efficient defensive midfielder in Casemiro. And you go, well, They fixed one thing and all of a sudden the rest of the team seems to be clicking. I don't know why people can't look at that and say, that seems to be the biggest problem right now. If we could just get that one problem solved, then all of a sudden you will see the defense uh, get a little better. You will see the progression to the attacks get a lot better. And we're just continuing to pursue all of the wrong things. And I'm at a loss. I've been saying this for years and here we are. We're still saying it. If that's what they do, if they go and say, Let's rehaul this midfield that's needed rehauling for two, three years now. Then I will see we're finally doing the right thing. They're finally doing the right thing. 
I am. I have a very wry smile on my face here as you're saying all that because the next thing I have here on my bullet points to talk about is Fafana and Badia Shield, which is like, yep. And how about these two new signings we brought in? Oh, a forward and a def- uh, forward and a defender. Like, it, it, great, but like, golly, we're gonna do anything we can to not address this midfield issue in any meaningful way. Um, you know, I, I, the reason I have those two names written down here is because obviously they get to make, um, you know, Fafana comes into the match in this and, you know, didn't, in my opinion, play long enough. He, he got to play a half. I think Potter was so fed up being down by three goals at halftime that, you know, he, he does make a double change, brings in Zakaria and, and, and we see Fafana. It's like, what? I th- that's kind of what I expect a little to see more of at this point is, you know, I don't think. Andre Santos, who's the third signing of this window already, we'll see a lot of just because he's 18, literally, and was in the second division of Brazil. Uh, He's kind of one maybe more for the future. But, you know, I think if you'd have seen a normal Chelsea season where they were kind of in the mix for at least top four, you know, bringing in Fafana, bringing in Badia Shield, you'd have seen those guys sparingly, maybe in cups, maybe, you know... uh, 30 minutes at the end of a match. I, why not now just rip the Band-Aid off and play these guys a lot and figure out what you've got and get them? Again, it's got to... I do understand, and even as I say that, I realize like bringing guys into a very toxic situation and just basically forcing them into it and playing them all the time, like that might not be the best way to develop players. But there's got to be a way for me to see a pretty clear shift towards a approach for the future because, again, Potter continues to say... Um, you know, fans may or may not like it, but like the message told to me is that this is a different Chelsea. And yeah, I understand like I might've had to worry about my job if this was the previous regime, but like, that's not what I've been told this is the model for. You see Pep Guardiola saying today, you know, if I could talk to Todd Bowley, I'd tell him to give him time. Um, you know, he also said, you know, I only, the only reason I didn't need any time at Barcelona is because I had Lionel Messi and, you know, I, 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 there's a part of me that's like Pep's smart enough to be saying not just in there the comment about Messi, but also sort of like highlighting how far away Chelsea has anything like a Messi. They don't have any stars, frankly, that are playing like that at, at, at you know, even their their top ability, let it alone at a world class level. Um, you know, I, I get I get all that. Um, so if that's what we're gonna do, um, I think go for it. Like, even though it may get worse before it gets better, I just think like this is a really messy thing right now because I think we're terrible and we're not committing to any clear strategy. I don't necessarily have any, you know, confidence. I don't know how anyone could that moving forward, um, I don't know. It's a scary time, at least from us. There's there's no way to know what the future is going to look like at Chelsea. And I don't know how you'd get real confident um, with any of it because it's a totally new era. But regardless, I just think sort of we have talked about ad nauseum that the issues that we have have been there, um, have been leading to this point. I saw somebody say today, you know, like football changed a tremendous amount in the time that Roman Abramovich owned the football owned Chelsea football club and Chelsea, the one they never moved with all those changes in football. They were their very specific, unique way of doing things. And they sort of made it work. But this idea that if they'd have just go back to that, it would all work again. I don't, I don't think that's right. And I think people acknowledge for the most part that where we're at today is a culmination of a lot of problems that have been building through poor squad management, not supporting managers, not having a real clear policy of transfers, 
bloated squad. I mean, we still have those things. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 at the same time, don't really know how anybody has a lot of optimism, um, right at the moment about the future, Julian. Um, because again, even if you could go back to the Abramovich era as chaotic as it was, you could say, yeah, but we've been here time and time again, and there's always a sunny future, not that far around the corner. I just think I personally just feel like we're in a lot more of an un- unknown here. What about you? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And at, you're right. At the very least, when Roman was here, for some reason, it always just seemed to work itself out. But I think a lot of us during that time frame also said we can't keep this model up. We have to find the answer. And uh, looking at Lampard's struggle at Everton and as somebody that had a very hard time allowing Lampard to go, I still had issues. I came around to saying he probably needs to go, but he was one of the managers where in his first time around with the season, his first season with the club, he looked like we might've finally found our answer. It looked like he was inspiring a wonderful atmosphere among Chelsea supporters at the bridge. And of course it just turned into a disaster after a couple of poor results. And then everything went downhill from there up until we're able to bring in a temporary solution. And it's been a vicious cycle of that for many years again with Mourinho. I mean, we can just go on and on about all the previous examples, but we didn't even get that same sort of boost with Potter. I mean, we had maybe a couple of decent results, but there were still a lot of people that weren't inspired by those results and immediately started, you know, criticizing Potter to the point where right now it seems like there's a huge majority that are already turning on a manager that's, you know, he hasn't been at the club that long. He hasn't managed that many matches and he's not even been able to bring in a single one of his own players yet. As far as the ones we've signed right now, none of them have even played as of this moment. So I, I want to say give him time, but at the same time, I have to be honest and critical and say he hasn't inspired any confidence right now. He hasn't done anything where I said we're trending in the right direction. And when he was announced as our manager, the one and only thing I asked for wasn't any sort of top four or Champions League run or anything. I was just saying I want to see progress in the way the team looks. And we don't have that. So we don't have anything right now. And I worry a little bit about where the where the sort of locker room goes from here. I mean, we saw it time and time again throughout a whole bunch of different managers during the Roman Abramovich era that the answer to this problem every other time was player power in the locker room. Let's get the manager fired and then see what happens. And it seemed to be like, okay, the new manager comes in, jolts things to life. And then he runs into the, finds himself in the exact same situation when the same kind of core of the squad get tired of listening to him. There's still a lot of those same players around. I don't know that suddenly, like, just having a new owner, they're going to really be different people. Um, I don't, this is not me sort of like, I'm a little sarcastic here, but like subtweeting at players. Like, I think there's rats in the locker room or anything like that. I just, like, this is a group at its core that has not responded well to these situations in the past, and they've waited for the managerial side to change, and so that they didn't ever really get the axe swung at them. Uh, you know, if this is truly going to be different and Potter's going to have support from ownership long term, then what happens as we reach this, the head of this conflict where nothing's going good, there's complete unrest at the club, there's demand for improvement, and yet the players aren't just getting a manager replaced and then sort of saying like, yeah, we'll start over with the next guy. Um, again, stuff that I don't have any way to tell you what's going to happen, but is a going to be something I think is coming and will be fascinating if Chelsea can't 
not necessarily positively fascinating, but just really interesting, um, particularly if Chelsea can't sort of stop this bleeding, get some momentum turned around, and again, at least least get some positivity restored around the club where people do see something being built towards the future. Um, But I want to ask you one one more thing, I think, Julian, and and that's before we go. And let me ask you two things, one player-related, squad-related, and then one more sort of general about, about the fans. From from a squad standpoint, you know, I, I haven't brought up any form of discussion here about these two matches in a man-of-the-match sort of standpoint because, you know, it's like, man, pick the, pick the least bad or least offensive performance. But let's not, you know, rather than talking about it match specifically, like, who do you feel as, as a that you have confidence in and where they're at as a player right now, because, you know, it's kind of making the rounds on Twitter. But as I watched this match on ESPN plus today at halftime, you know, Oh God forbid, I found myself agreeing with Craig Burley, which was tough enough, but you know, to listen to Frank LaBeouf come on and just eviscerate, uh, Jorginho, Havertz, Mount. I mean, you got, you can find the quotes out there on Twitter for anybody listening about some of the stuff he said specifically, but like, he really called those guys out and said, like, you got to show me something. Like, what have you done, Havertz, besides score a one goal in a Champions League that made you famous? And and Mount, like, where you been lately? And Jorginho, you know, you can see people that have a lot of deep care for the club in a, in a very frustrated place. And I look around and like, man, it's hard to find even the guys that have consistently been good Chelsea players um, playing well. So who do you feel good about leaning on in the squad right now? Oh, I hate to say it because we all know that there's only one player that we've had any sort of reliability with. And that, of course, is Thiago Silva. And it's because he's one of the classiest football players in the history just of football altogether. And he remains one of the only players that I have any sort of trust in. And I've never seen him give up. And he still cares. I mean, he's always cared and he will always continue to care. But outside of that... I, I don't know. That's really sad to say. Uh, Mason Mount, uh, Reese James, you would expect them to be players that you could say absolutely. But unfortunately, Reese James went down and all of a sudden we looked terrible again. And it's unfortunate that that's the situation with him. And Mason Mount has been overly inconsistent for the player we've come to expect. So that's it. It's Thiago Silva and that's all I have. And so for me, like, yeah, I agree. I don't have anyone else to add to that list. And like that just from a real base standpoint for me, like that's got to change regardless of the challenges Potter faces. Like got to at least be able to, you know, I think somebody's saying the analogy today, like if you can't, you know, if, if you can't make something that even resembles an omelet with cheap $3 eggs, why would we give you a hundred million dollar eggs? You know, it's like, it, it, yes, you don't have this perfect situation, but if you're such a great chef in the kitchen here, Potter, like, we're not even I'm not even all of your players simultaneously look individually really bad that's not a good sign so I'm hoping to at least see a little more consistency and performance from somebody whether that's these youth players getting more minutes or some players like a Mason Mount just regaining a little bit of like joy in his game um I'll end it here I said I had one more question and that is sort of like just regarding the fan base I think it's I think it's hard because um you know Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea fan base is literally millions of people and it's all around and millions and millions of people and it's all across the world. So there's no nothing that large that makes any sense to speak for on a, you know, uh, whole cloth basis. But 
so and I also think there's obviously an emphasis where like the voices that you hear that represent the ideas you hear over and over and over are often coming from social media and they're often coming from the loud voices on social media, which are often not the ones with much rationality. However, I man, I mentioned it a little bit before, but one of the things that like I almost want to call it like the great purge that we're about to go through is like I have never seen so many voices of people who are so wildly unprepared for what they're about to face. And again, we saw it with the chanting for Thomas Tuchel. We've seen it with, um, you know, just already everyone ready to give up on Graham Potter. And again, I'm not saying that we, we, we shouldn't. I'm just saying that what we're hearing messaging from the management over and over again is that no matter how dark this has gotten, there's no change in how this is going to be long-term support for Potter. And if that's the case, like, man, if it's this point in the season and we're calling for Tuchel, this is not the darkest hour. And we are so, so, so far away from being where we want to go, for being a, you know, a competitive team in Europe. And we are so far from even being competitive in England right now that, like, you know, for better or worse, the reality is man, people have no idea what they're in for. I think part of that's having been spoiled from some of the success Chelsea's had. But I also think it's unique to the way our club has been run in the fact that, I don't even know spoiled's the right word, but it was so unusual to every time you were in a really dark place as a club, you were also maybe like eight months away from winning a Champions League or a, or, or a league or an FA Cup. or and And I just think that constantly... Man, you want to talk about leading people's expectations into somewhere that's unsustainable. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to, many people are going to have a very, very miserable next season, maybe longer than that, because, again, I don't think that the e- the emergency break or the parachute is getting pulled here after a couple more losses. I just don't think that's what we're going to see. And I see people sort of say rebuild. We need to rebuild. We need all these different players. We need to put in youth. And then simultaneously, people see us struggling to transition through this and they don't want any part of watching that struggle. So, I mean, Julian, do you have any other comments to make about that other than just, I guess, we as human beings are kind of hypocrites? It's, sometimes you do need to tear everything down and start from scratch. And this hasn't been something that's new with this club. It's been this way for a long time. And it was anomalies every time we went and won the Champions League or won a match here or there that we didn't deserve to win. But I think a lot of people look at it and say we haven't been consistent in the Premier League for a very long time. And there's a very obvious reason for that. And that's the club's not necessarily on the most stable ground. I hate to go back to it and highlight Manchester City as much as I do. But they built things right way from the ground up. And Arsenal, they suffered a little bit to do the same. And they built things from the ground up as well. Liverpool as well. It really pains me to say this about these teams that I obviously don't like, but it's the teams that are trying to find the shortcuts and trying to find the short-term solutions like us and Manchester United that have found themselves in a lot of struggles, a lot of turnover, a lot of changes, and unable to replicate uh, similar success over the course of many multiple seasons. So 
I'm going to say, take everything one game at a time. There are some voices out there that are going to overreact to everything that's happening. But at the end of the day, we're not getting relegated. We still have some great players on the team. And we have a lot of things to look forward to. I mean, Mason Mount and Reese James are two of the best young players in the entire Premier League. And um, it sounds like some of the players coming through as well are also positive and optimistic uh some of the players we signed fafana most notably seems like a great player too so we'll see there's positives to look for there's always some positives even if we can't see them at this moment well hopefully a few of those positives will start to show themselves on thursday that's when chelsea plays next they go to fulham obviously don't have to travel far as another west london derby find themselves three points behind fulham often not that's a that's got to be the first time in a while after half of the matches played for a season they do have one match in hand to chelsea so you know pick up a victory here move up the table a little and you know hopefully like it felt maybe with bournemouth if you can if you can get a little positive momentum maybe you can get one build on it a little and things don't feel quite as dour but julian i thank you for your time i know if nothing else um it was a little bit cathartic for me to get to talk through this i always feel a little bit less like the you know the sky is falling um we've we've been through a lot of things over the years and some pretty dark times i know that i know the future is obviously uncertain but um yeah i i always appreciate getting to talk through these things and 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 hopefully uh the next time we speak my friend will be able to talk about some more positive results yes here's the hoping there's always a chance. <laughs> All right, fans, until then, thanks again for joining Julian and I, and we'll be back next time on another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast.